Well, hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Michael Van Wardhuizen. Good luck to all of you to pronounce that if you've never pronounced it before. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer Church, but not for long, am I right? That's a, I'm just kidding. I literally started crying thinking about that while we were singing. Most of you don't believe that, uh, if you know me well. But um, it's my joy to get to uh, preach the Word of God here this morning. Uh, but before we get into Isaiah 42, I just want to share a little update on our church planting endeavors. So it's the most fun tongue twister you could say, church planting endeavors in Denver. Um, Allie and I, my wife and I, and our three kids are going to go plant a church in Denver, Colorado. At least that's what we're telling everyone. And that's what we're planning on doing, but we'll see what happens by the end of a few years from now. Hopefully we're not back here, you know. Um, but God's called us to plant a church, and we're going to go do it. And uh, we have a long runway and a lot of things happening, but the next things that are happening in this adventure, in this journey of church planting, is that we have vision nights coming up here. Uh, so we have one in Cedar Falls, one in Cedar Rapids. The one in Cedar Falls is a week from today, 6.30 p.m. in this room. And I just want to extend the very distant and uh, strange personal, it is personal though, personal invitation to each of you to come, uh, whether you call this church your home or not, to come and to hear a little bit more about what God has done, is doing, and what we hope he will do in our church plant of Capital City Church in Denver, Colorado. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, you'll, we'll sing, and you'll listen to me talk, and you'll get to listen to Allie talk, too, a little bit, which is super cool. Uh, and, but something sweet that I got to make sure I mention to you guys, uh, well, this isn't the sweet part. One of the purposes of this, it is sweet, is that we're trying to raise some money, because we got to live there once we get there, and we want to see the gospel take over Denver. So it's a fundraiser, not just a fundraiser, but it's a vision uh, it's an opportunity to cast some vision, and you guys can say whether or not you want to join in partnership with us. But one of the pieces of that that's really dang cool is that we are going to be doing a silent auction of a bunch of super sick art uh, that Ali has created and other artists that are friends of us have created. And so I just want to make that known to you that that's a super neat, unique, ra random thing that I haven't told anybody yet. Probably should have told people that long ago, but, but that's actually happening. Uh, so if, if that's something you're interested in, just, you know, put that in your mental notebook or whatever, I guess. But, but that's happening, and the vision night's in a week. So put it in your calendar. Really want you guys to be there. It'd be super great. We'll sing and, and worship together. And uh, so... One way that I want to ask you guys to pray for us, specifically uh, as a church plant in the making, is that our housing would come to fruition. So, long stories that could go with this, but we don't have a place to live yet. We have a maybe, and we have a super maybe. Um, our maybe is maybe living with my in-laws, which is super cool, <laughs> at least for a couple months. But the super maybe is what determines whether or not we even move, move into with my in-laws. And so, we don't pack box one into trailer until we have something a little more uh, secure, longer term. So pray that that would happen. Last week I was in Cedar Rapids and I shared this with people and I had two leads, including the in-laws that came from that, from the prayers of the saints is what I'm saying. And so continue to pray for that because maybe by the end of the day we have it all figured out. You never know. God's God, not me. And he does crazier things than that. So let's pray and go to Isaiah 42. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Redeemer Church. 
I'm grateful for them. I'm grateful for the Cedar Valley. And uh, God, would you unite us as your body, with you as our head. And would we look at you this morning with new eyes that see you. Open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, God. Incline our hearts to sing your praise. Would we rejoice at the gospel? Amen. So as we get into Isaiah 42, I want to ask you a simple question uh, that you should actually ask yourself, and it starts with, are you frustrated? Like, are you frustrated? Like that low gear grind irritation, not like blackout, white hot rage, but are you frustrated, irritated, inconvenienced? What frustrates you? See, my son Axel, who's four, he is frustrated a lot of the time. Uh, Recently, he was frustrated because of an injustice that was done to him. The injustice was simply he had to go into playtime in his room like he does every single day, but he was frustrated, and he was so frustrated that he responded in a very particular way that we'll get to in a moment. But what frustrates you? And I would argue that most of the time, it's something that we would call an injustice, done to us, being done wrong, being treated unfairly, getting the wrong order at Starbucks and still paying full price, am I right? I don't go to Starbucks. I work at a sidecar. (laughs) Getting cut off in traffic or political ads interrupting your YouTube videos, that's injustice, amen? Come on, one more month, woo, 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 and then the cycle repeats. Now, because we're made in the image of God, we can see injustice and be angered at it. But what do we do when we see injustice? What do we do? Now, returning to Axel, when he sees injustice done to him, he gets frustrated. He whines. He complains. He takes a coat hanger and he smacks his sister over the head and then he throws it at her. He hurts. He takes. How do you respond to injustice? What is your response? What do you do? Do you seek retribution? Or do you seek vengeance? Some frontier justice, maybe? Where you take matters into your own hands? Like that guy who cuts you off? Do you like, I've literally had this. This is a tell of my heart. I've been so enraged on the road that I like gunned it and I wanted them just to know I was so mad at him and what he had done. And I like, I felt a pull to like hurt the guy, but it would have meant we all exploded in death. (laughs) So I didn't do it. But like, this guy was a jerk and he just put my family in danger. And now I'm putting my family in danger driving the car. Do you flip them off instead of doing that? How do you respond to injustice? Do you just make sure that they know that what they did was wrong because they can't get away with it? Or do you just push it under the rug? Like you just completely ignore it, pretend it didn't happen. Uh, The closer the situation to me personally, the more I'm more likely to be incredibly passive-aggressive. Those of you who are close to me, you're saying, yep, (laughs) because you've experienced it. You've felt me be passive-aggressive to you. How do you respond to injustice? Well, this passage is answering a similar question, and that is, how does God respond to injustice? And it's two words. 
God's servant. God's response to injustice is God's servant. God's servant who comes to bring justice to the nations, as verse 1 says. Faithfully bringing forth justice in the earth, as verse 3 says. That God's servant won't faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth, as verse 4 says. And God's servant, he's upheld, he's chosen, he's delighted in by Yahweh. He's filled with the Spirit. He's silent and gentle. He's merciful and kind. All of this in verses 1 through 3. Man, doesn't that sound familiar, church? Spoiler alert, it's Ted Cruz. Come on, guys. Jeez. You even know who Ted... Okay. It's Jesus, okay? It's Jesus. That's Jesus. Now, now, if you go to commentaries, they might say, like, hey, maybe it's Israel, or maybe it's a king of Israel. But it's Jesus. Like, this is such a high call that this is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus Christ is God's servant. And most of you who are in the church are like, duh. But do you get that? Jesus God's servant has come to bring justice. And it's affirmed, this passage is, is quoted in Matthew 12, so like, you could unpack all that for about another 30 minutes, but we're not going to. But what we need to see is, what is the servant's mission? See, this, this passage is the first of four servant songs, as they're called in the book of Isaiah. And this song tells us that the mission of the servant is nothing less than to put God's plans for his people into full effect. And to make the truth about the Lord Israel's God known everywhere, especially the fact that he alone is the sovereign creator and Lord of history. Now what an amazing response to injustice, that he has a plan for his people and it will be brought to full effect and everybody's going to know what that plan is and see it. Everyone. Now this song is a song for the broken. This song is a song for the broken. You have to catch that mood. This is for the broken. For the bruised reed. Think of like a flower, a beautiful flower that has been bent. And it's still alive, but it's bent. It cannot stand up on its own. A smoldering wick, a faintly burning wick, a candle or a lantern where there's a little glowing ember, maybe at best. And you notice it more so by the smoke it produces than by the light that it produces. This is for the broken. So is that you? Are you broken? Do you feel that? Maybe that's why you're frustrated, because you feel that. Because COVID or your job or some relationship is taking it out of you. It's beating you down. It's smothering you. And you just feel that this morning. You feel this all the time. Like you can't help but wake up and feel that for the last six and a half months or longer, for the whole span of your life. This song is for you. Now, let me pause and say that if you don't feel this brokenness, it may be because you feel the Spirit of God healing you. And we pause and say, praise God. Because that is reality for many people. 
is that you maybe don't feel this brokenness in the same way that you once did because you can see God healing that brokenness. But let me also say, A, there's more brokenness. And B, maybe you don't feel the brokenness because you're still blinded, you're still numbed by the darkness. Or maybe you're just not quite broken enough yet. That maybe you're afraid of what it means to be broken and admit it. Because if that's you also, if you're afraid to admit it, that Jesus has a message for you. Even if you're already a Christian, Jesus has a message for you. It's for the broken. It's for the hurting, the lost, and the confused, the crippled, and the dirty. That he's come for you. And he's come to bring justice. More on that. So whether or not you know you're broken, one thing we can all agree on, and that there is darkness. That there is injustice. That injustice comes from there being darkness. Like, when you look at the world, when you look at the, the you know, snow globe of 2020, this petri dish full of bacteria we call a year, there's injustice everywhere, right? Police brutality, cops being murdered in cold blood, profiteering from a pandemic, people treating each other like human garbage because of the way we handle the pandemic. There's injustice everywhere. So we can agree that that's there. And that injustice is, is a result of darkness. Darkness here, darkness everywhere. Sin, spiritual darkness. That is real. That is rampant. And it's frustrating. This leads to our frustration and our white hot rage. So what's the solution? What's the solution to this? What's the solution to injustice? Now, we've already answered that to some degree, right? But let's, what is the answer to this political climate? Now, recently, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, passed away. And there's an opportunity here, politically. Now, I'm not the resident expert on politics this is called a little bit of Google research. <laughs> but I know what I know. <laughs> you guys laugh at that, but not Ted Cruz. Jeez. Okay, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she, she passed away. She had cancer, and she had complications due to cancer. She is notorious RBG. That's what they called her. The notorious RBG. She was a Jew Jewish-German woman, which is an example of maybe some form of injustice actually overcome, which is crazy. Appointed by Bill Clinton to the Supreme Court, she fought for women's rights in areas of equality of pay and beyond. She was known for her oral arguments. She was sharp. She was strong. She was even known to be physically stronger than most, like many of the other male judges that were much larger than her. She was a very small person, evidently, according to the pictures. Never met her. She was known as a force to be reckoned with, but, 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 the simple reality is that she was insufficient to bring justice. Pure and simple. Anything from the simple fact that she is no longer with us, that she has grown weary and faint. As verse 4 says, our God's servant will not. 
She's passed away. That's, that's literally enough to say that she's insufficient, and all the other Supreme Court justices are insufficient. And any other human that walks this earth earth is actually insufficient to bring actual justice. But there's also just the simple reality that she was human and she was sinful and she succumbed to darkness in many ways, including some of her own personal opinions and her rulings. There are many things she voted for that were super great, but particularly on the, the conversation of abortion, she was just wrong. She wasn't just. She wasn't a servant. And this is not to degrade her in any way, but to say that she is not the answer and the the person taking her place is not the answer. Because what would it take? Another woman on the Supreme Court, all of them being women, bumping it from 9 to 13 as some want? What would it take? Getting a centrist in the White House? Like, what would it take to bring actual justice to this place? It's it's insufficient. It's insufficient. Any of these individuals, they are much closer to being Cyrus, king of Persia, than to God's servant. So the context of this passage is that Babylon's done, Persia is taking over. And Cyrus is the king. And the thing is, to some degree, Cyrus kind of looks like a savior because things have changed. Some people have been let out of captivity. They get to do what they want. Now, that's great. In some regard, that's so good. That's great, yes, but it's not the solution to the actual problem, which is darkness right here and everywhere. So these Leaders that we're going to be voting on very soon, family, we have to realize are much closer to being Cyrus, the next oppressor, than they are to being King Jesus. It's just fact. It's just fact. And we have to see that, that they're not the solution, that your pastors are not the solution, that your spouse is not the solution, that your kids, the next generation, is not the solution. I just told you about Axel hitting his sister over the head with a coat hanger. What you didn't hear me say, because I haven't said it yet, is the fact that I told him five minutes before that not to do that. And then I planted the idea in his head, and he went and did it. They're not the answer. It's just not the answer. So our scripture tells us that the solution is not a servant of the court, but a servant of the poor. Our God takes his servant, his son, Jesus, in righteousness by the hand and keeps him so that he can give him as a covenant for his people. And his purposes for his people will be, for his purposes will be made known to all people. So if you look at John 1, like we know that Jesus is God's servant and that he is given as the solution to this problem. Go to, if you look at John 1, you have this crazy complicated passage that you need to study as it, you just do, it's beautiful. But in a small amount of study, you see this thing called the Word, and we'll just do a little air box. The Word. The Word exists. There are many things you can know about the Word, but that He's the embodiment of God. In fact, He is God. And verse 4 says this about Him, that in Him was life, so you have the Word, and in Him is life. 
And that life was the light of men. Now there's the solution to our problem, light, as a solution to the problem of darkness. Simple enough. So how do we get that light? If you keep reading John 1, you see that this word became flesh. So now you've got to draw a man, air hands. He took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he's full of life, full of light, full of grace, full of truth. So when you think about justice, what do you think of? When I think about it, I oftentimes think of a hammer or a gavel hitting. Right? The hammer coming down. But when God sends his servant, what does justice look like? Justice does not look like a hammer wielded, but rather it looks like a hammer given into the hands of men to nail the Lamb of God to a tree. This is God's justice. Because normally if you read about God's justice, it might be like, quake, O you nations, because here he comes. But what he says instead is, bruised reed, smoldering wick. God's justice is coming in the form of my servant, and it comes in the form of the lamb who was slain on the cross. Because when Jesus was cut, what came out? Not just blood, but life. Life that is the light of men. And that light shines brighter than the sun into the cosmos. When Jesus was cut, what was he full of that came out? Grace, truth, answers, hope, justice. A wind to fan into flame the smoldering wick. A steel rod to put into the spine of the bruised reed that it might stand until we can be made new. This is servant justice. This is not frontier justice. This is not vigilante justice. This is servant Jesus, servant justice, the servant of God dying for his people at the hands of his people. This is the new covenant for the nations. Our passage talks about this servant in such a loud way. I will give you, the father says to the servant, as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And God does this, as the next verse says, because he says, I am the Lord, that is my name, My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God does this because he will not give his glory to another. Not to the next RBG, not to the next president, and not to your mom. He just won't. His glory he will not give to another. And that is why the servant has come and brought the way forward. So if you look at John 8, if you look at John 8, you see Jesus say, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And he's saying this to some church people. He's saying this to some Pharisees. I'm not calling you all Pharisees. I'm calling myself a Pharisee. I'm a church people. 
I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there it is again. And then he goes on and he, uh, you know, talks about some crazy stuff like the father bearing witness to him and the Pharisees get mad because they're like, hey, who, you can't just testify about yourself. You have to have other people. And he's like, my dad does. And they're like, well, where's your dad? And then he says, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Whoa, shots fired. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and you would know that if you knew me and you knew my father. So my question for us, family, is this. Do you know the father? These things are correlated, right? Like, what you know of Jesus is is what you know of the father. Now, I'm not saying that if you're in here I'm not calling you all unchristian because you have some misconceptions about who the Father is. It's called welcome to the party. We all do. But do you know him? Do you understand? Do you miss something of him? Maybe you miss that he actually loves you and cares for you. I just had my 10-year Jesus birthday sometime in the last week or so. I don't know when it was. Maybe it's still coming. We'll find out one day. But but it took nine years for me to realize just how much the Father actually loves me. Maybe you miss that he's actually big and he's actually in control. He's actually sovereign and it's not just like, yeah, he's got it in control, but he actually does. Maybe you miss that about him. But family, maybe the piece that you miss and it's frustrating you or is a, is a cause of frustration and leads to greater frustration is that we miss his business. See, our passage tells us what the business of the Father is that Jesus came to do. And it's many things, but one thing specifically is that the business of the Father is driving out darkness. The business of the servant of God, of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, is driving out darkness through us and in us. Now, we're going to do that. It's in us and then through us. But let's start with through us. Family, we are God's servants. If you confess Christ as Lord, we join in with Jesus in driving out darkness. Now, a really brief story. So I'm going to Denver, uh, and we're partnering with a church there called the Oaks Church. Derek Scherfe is the lead pastor, church planter of the Oaks Church. I had a phone call with him recently about some crazy stuff that's been happening in his life, spiritual warfare stuff that's been happening in his life. And I mean anything from like, this is the very short version, and I got the short version from him. It was 45 minutes long. Uh, but literally anything from nightmares that both a mother and a son are having to uh, walking down the street and uh, praying in the name of Jesus and somebody coming up to them who's a total stranger and says, are you praying to Jesus? And then crazy stuff happening, including when they start telling him the gospel and sharing why they're praying in the name of Jesus. He literally takes off running down the street. Um, And even crazier stuff of like literally walking down the street and he all of a sudden sees a very average business class looking woman walking down Colfax Avenue, which is one of the main drags in our neighborhood. And walking around, minding his own business, probably AirPods in or something, and this woman just looks at him and just stares at him and her whole demeanor changes. And she just looks at him with rage and hate. He's never seen this woman in his life. And when they pass, cross paths, she literally screams in his face. 
and he like, you know, jumps because it scares him because he has no idea what's happening, but it's happening, and he, it all of a sudden starts registering, and then some dude, random dude across the street, literally yells, yo, man, what the blank was that? That was straight demonic, as if he's a prophet from God. <laughs> now, I bring all this up, not, and there's so much more, which is, in their na- like literally in their neighborhood and crazy stuff, crazy, 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 crazy stuff. But I bring this up because God is in the business of driving out darkness and he says, come join me. Because what the, where is the darkness? It's here and everywhere. And so that darkness, leaving is the kingdom of God coming. And he says, come join me. Now, there's a lot to be said about these stories, so put them aside. But what you need to know is, why did that random nice lady change? See, the thing is, Colfax Avenue is known as like a street that has poor and homeless. And so just let me be frank that we all probably would agree that if a random homeless man just yelled at you, you probably wouldn't even think twice. It's Maybe he's high. Maybe he's nuts. You know what I mean? Like, we all have that base assumption. But when a random middle-class woman screams in your face, it's very, very confusing. And so, why did that happen? I want to argue because he's got Jesus all over him. Why do the spiritual forces, the spirits of darkness, know who the Oaks Church is, this tiny little 30-person church in South Denver, and know who their leadership is at the drop of a hat. Come talk to me afterwards. I'll share more stories. This is is because there's not enough time. But why do they know? It's because they've got Jesus all over them. And what does Jesus look like? Light in darkness. So he wants to work through us, family, but before he does that, before we join in with him, he wants to drive out darkness in us. And so I want to call each of us, whether you have called upon Christ as your Savior and know that he is the light of the world or not, whether this is your 10th year of following Jesus like it is for me, or you've been doing it for much, much longer, or much, much less. I want to call us into the light, to come and be washed in the light of Christ. I want to invite the response team forward, the band come up. Um, Because as we finish, as we finish, we need to see something very beautiful. I was listening to a song on my way here today, and um, the lyrics are this. It says, you're a fire. You're a fire. Purify me. I want to be consumed. That's scary talk. I want to be consumed, but what will be left, what must remain, what Jesus has made new, Christ in you, the new thing that is coming, that's what will remain. 
and repentance and confession of sin as a body, not as some like, we can absolve you of anything because that's Jesus' work, but this is a participation in saying, Jesus, come and purify me. Come and consume me. Take whatever you desire, Lord. Here's my life. So I want to call you into that. I want to call you into that before you take your cute little cup of communion. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to take from me? And in its place, put light. What do you want to take from me? So, let's pray and respond to the gospel. God, I ask that you would make it very plain what it is that you want to take, how you want to purify, that you would speak loud and clear right now what it is that you're calling us to repent of injustice that we have committed or perpetuated to you, to one another. Lies that we have believed about you, Father. God, come and fill the gaps but dispel the lies that we might know you all the more and that we could come and I mean literally repent on our knees to someone we love next to us with the prayer team at the end of the service because we are a body together with you and there's just something about confessing with the mouth that helps and perpetuates this freedom that we can be set ablaze and join in the work that you're doing. So meet us in our need right now, Father. Amen.